Hi, welcome to BCI Kettle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us listening today. And good morning, guys. We've got a room full. Dr. Bob Larson. Good morning. Dr. Philip Lancaster. Hey, Brad. Dr. Brian Lubbers. Good morning, everybody. Dustin couldn't join us again today, but we're happy to have you with us. And as always, if you have questions, thoughts, things you'd like us to talk about, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. We've got a couple great guests on the program today. We were able to have Samantha Bennett, who's running the Ag Today podcast as host and producer. And we got Dr. Enoch Bergman back from Australia because we didn't, we weren't able to finish up all our topics with him. A great listen. We'll get a chance to, to talk with him a little bit about what he is encountering in Australia relative to disease entry. And we're going to touch on disease management. But for you guys, I know summer travel has been limited for many because gas prices are high. However, some are still traveling. I want to know from you guys, when you're traveling, you're driving, What's the activity you use to kind of keep busy when you're in the car? If it's not listening to the radio, do you have anything else you do to kind of keep yourself occupied if you've got to go on a long drive? All right. So for us, we used, and because my wife and I said no videos in the van, so we did Hank the cow dog uh, on the trips. And, and my kids are grown now, but they still like, that's kind of, that's synonymous with taking a, a driving vacation is you got to throw in the Hank the cow dog tapes. We did the same thing with Hank, Hank the cow dog with the kids. And there were some other books on tape that we would get and listen to while we'd taken a long drive. That's actually a pretty fun thing to do on a long drive. I mean, they're even entertaining for adults. I mean, we said, we said no videos and then we had more kids. And then and you said, we're doing, I videos. waved the white flag. Yeah. Brian. Yeah. I waved the white flag a long time ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I drive. Just drive. Just drive. So hopefully you get a chance to get out and about, have a good summer vacation. We are happy to have Samantha Bennett with us today, and she is the producer and host of Ag Today as of a couple weeks ago. Yep. So Samantha has taken over the Ag Today podcast or podcast and radio show, which is broadcast throughout Kansas and beyond, and we have a lot of focus on different topics and we wanted to have a chance to visit with you and have our listeners learn a little bit more about you. So tell us about you, Samantha. Absolutely. Well, thank, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with your listeners as well. I uh, grew up an Army brat and mostly spent most of my life in Alabama. We were stationed at Fort Rucker Army Base, if that rings any bells for anyone. Um, but I really didn't have a background in agriculture prior to college. So I came to college as a pre-vet student, hoping to go to vet school someday, and I got plugged into the Department of Animal Sciences at Auburn University and just really fell in love with the industry from there. I saw the passion reflected in my teachers and then the producers that I got to interact with on a regular basis and just kind of fell in love with the industry. So from there, I met my mentor, um, Dr. Don Mulvaney, in my undergrad one of my undergrad classes, and he really just kind of planted seeds in my brain, like, I really think you'd be great at communications and that you could be a great advocate for our industry if that's something that you would ever consider. So I applied for vet school, got waitlisted, and kind of started contemplating. This was 2020 when the world went crazy. I was like, I really think he's right that my you know interests and gifts could be served elsewhere so I decided to take him up on his offer and started my graduate program that fall of 2020 and I graduated this May with my master's degree um, in animal sciences but focused on ag communications so I applied in January for the job here and I've been here for three weeks now so excellent We're, we are really excited to have you here and I think uh, all of us and coming from our perspective so Brian Bob Philip and I 
We have learned so much from working with our AgCom friends, so Lisa Mosier and then the students that we've had go through. We have learned a lot. There's just things we just don't think about typically for what we're doing. And exactly as you said, there are mechanisms to better communicate. You've got your master's in it, and you did a lot of work with podcasts. I did, yeah. A huge part of my master's degree, one of my research studies, actually revolved around podcasting as an extension tool. So it's a, it's a medium that I'm really passionate about, and I hope to explore more and encourage other people in extension to actually utilize even more. Well, you know, growing up in agriculture, I I, I think I was kind of blessed to, to listen to ag radio. And, and I think that's somewhat unique. I'm not sure other industries have their own kind of dedicated ag or dedicated radio personalities and, and outreach. And, but then as I look to the future, it does seem thing, like things like uh, podcasts, YouTube, other things. So maybe a question for you, uh, Sam, is you know, I remember as a person in ag consuming ag radio. Well, so we've got the internal audiences, but we've also got external audiences. What, what do you see as the role for agriculture today specifically uh, as both internal and external communication for agricultural producers? Sure. So, I mean, obviously we have our regular producers that tune in and listen, but there's also, because it's on a public forum, there's that opportunity to reach unintended audiences. And we see that quite a bit, some crossover there, um, just in terms of some of the research I did was, you know, people, there's a hot topic in agriculture, for example, the heat burst we experienced here in Kansas. So maybe someone decides I'm going to look up, you know, Kansas cattle on podcasts, a podcast forum, and agriculture today might pop up. So it's an opportunity to advocate for the industry in a way that you allow yourself to reach audiences that you probably wouldn't have reached otherwise. I'm almost afraid to ask, <laughs> but as a podcasting expert, so you, you're coming at Ag Today with a podcast background. We've all, we're coming at our podcast from a different, like we've learned podcasting as we go. We're obviously experts in animal health and nutrition and economics, but what, what would be the one thing? And I, th I think this applies to our audience as well for people that are thinking about starting a podcast or a YouTube, they want to start reaching out on social media. What's the one piece of advice you give them as somebody that's kind of brand new to it? Consistency is key. I mean, I saw that repeatedly across numerous research articles that I read when it came to podcasting is, you know, if you're going to be posting, you need to be posting on a regular basis. And it needs to be, you know, at the same time, every single time on the same day of the week. It's just it makes it easier for your audience listeners. It becomes a part of their almost daily routine at that point or, you know, weekly routine, however often you're posting. But it's just something that becomes, you know, consistent in their life and makes it easier for them to tune in at a regular time, almost similarly to radio. Um, but then, you know, with podcasting, it just gives people the opportunity to plug in when they have the ability to. But that regularity of posting is, is really key to gaining an audience. Well, and I, 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 I'm glad it's something we were doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, I was, that's what I said. I'm afraid to ask. But uh, yeah, I'm glad it's something we were doing. But I, I think you're, you're exactly right. People talk about advocacy or promoting the industry or being involved. And, and many of us are passionate about the industry we work with, the animals we work with, or, or even growing crops or providing food. And there's no great mechanism that's easy, but this part isn't hard. You can certainly do some of this. This may be well suited to you or something like YouTube, but you don't have to, because I also know people that do a really good job of 
advocacy on social media where they answer some of those questions, which is a whole different format, which we're not very good at, frankly. And I'm, I'm looking at Bob. He's actually looking at me. Yeah, I'm looking at Bob. <laughs> looking at Bob and I. But, but we're not very good at that. But this is a, another medium. And it is about not just consistency in what you put out, but you're hitting a variety of areas because some of us will listen to podcasts. Some of us will look at other news outlets. You'll look at different areas. But the nice thing about Ag Today is you cover a variety of topics, right? It's not just cattle. Ours is focused on cattle when we do our podcast, but you cover a variety of topics as you go through in your program. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we try and make sure we're covering all our bases in terms of the agriculture that we see in Kansas, but also beyond, obviously, because our listenership goes beyond that. So we try and make sure we're covering any topic that might be relevant to those tuning in, um, but also those hot button topics, like I mentioned, you know, the heat burst we saw and the effects of that, but also avian influenza and whatever else is going on across the country that producers just need to know about. Because in the end, agriculture, we're really very, very well connected across the country. We, we have our differences, obviously, in terms of environment and what sort of production we do, but that we're really an integral system in the way that we interact. So. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I would encourage folks, if you're, if you're interested, you can find Ag Today in a variety of places, but certainly you can find it on the podcast platforms that are available. We're going to start doing a BCI Ask the Expert segment on, the, on her Ag Today on Wednesdays. So if you want to listen to that, back to this is why you told me it had to be Wednesdays. You're going to make us be consistent. <laughs> so it is. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. it, it is the right time. So happy to have you with us, Samantha. Welcome to Kansas. We're excited for you and look forward to listening to you for years to come. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We talked about driving summer vacation. The other thing that happens this time of year is we worry about heat. And, and I know there are some different issues and aspects related to heat. I want to focus this conversation on in the cow-calf operation, we do see heat stress. And we'll talk about feedlots another day. But in the cow-calf, we do see heat stress. What are your recommendations for managing that on the cow-calf side? I guess my recommendations are similar no matter what sector you're in and it's largely because there's only so many factors you can control right you, you can't control how hot it gets during the day you can't control how cool it gets at night which are two huge contributors so I, there's really two things the amount of shade you can provide is something you have a little bit of control over right so and that may mean you know in in feed yards and confined operations the i mean the amount of space is we're, we're not talking about acres and acres to Rome, right? So we put shade in strategic locations where it reaches at least the majority of the cattle most of the time. Um, in a pasture where we don't have that opportunity, it's, there, there's more freedom to roam, we can still provide some shade in some strategic locations. And that um, it's probably more temporary shading in those operations than it would be in a feed yard where it'd be more permanent type shade. Um, the, other, the other recommendation, the other thing, we can't control the wind um, but you might be able to control where they're at. And so, you know, if you're if you're doing some sort of rotational grazing, if you're getting ready, if you're anticipating a heat stress event coming, if there are areas of your operation that do catch more wind, it's it's probably advisable to put them in those in those places at that time. Or or have more I think that's a great point, Brian, because managing it, watching it it can be that there are pastures or areas that you've got more shade, you've mm -hmm. got more yep. wind, you've got more protection. And a lot of times it's not equally distributed in where we have those within the pastures. What else should we do, Bob? Well, one thing as a veterinarian, we, we push and, and we recommend 
you know, animal health interventions such as vaccinations, pro you know, processing the calves and those kinds of things. But that's kind of something you're just going to have to delay, um, if at all possible. I don't like gathering cattle and working them in, in the heat time of day or even the time of year. If we can avoid processing cattle until a little bit uh, cooler temperatures, you know, again, being flexible. Uh, it was maybe on the schedule to process cattle next week. But if it's going to be really hot, let's be flexible and push that off. And then when we have to work cattle, you know, I think most people would recommend starting really early in the morning and being done early in the day so that uh, you can get those cattle back out of, so that they can spread out, they can find the shade. And so, yes, yes, we need to do some animal health interventions, but keep the heat in mind. Well, and because of that, I think the morning versus even the evening as it starts to cool down is important because that big rumen, they continue to heat up. Right? As they're digesting feed and they're moving forward they're, throughout the day, even if the hottest part of the day is at 5 o'clock, they're still going to be really hot by the time you get to 6, 7, 8 o'clock in the evening, which brings us to the nutrition side. Is there anything nutritionally we should think about, Philip? And a cow-calf operation is tough. I mean, the cows are out there on pasture, and they've got free access to grass. and They're going to change their grazing behavior. Um, they're going to start – they're going to graze – a lot earlier in the morning they're going to stop earlier in the morning because they're going to start shading up uh, they're going to wait till the uh, sun goes down lots of times or till it cools off a little before they come out to graze in the evening and maybe even after dark when they're they're out there grazing some um, so they're going to change their grazing behavior some and then you know from the other perspective depending on your situation and water is is huge you know if you've got a big big uh, pond or stock tank then, you know, everybody can get in there and get a drink at the same time. But if you're watering out of a trough or um, that kind of thing, you got to make sure you've got enough access and enough capacity that they can all get into the, the water to drink. And thing like, like um, Brian mentioned shade, you know, don't put the shade where the water is. I mean, because then they're all going to crowd around under the shade and around the water, and cows can't move around to get to the water tank and, and those kind of things. So keep those separate where cows can move up to the water tank a few at a time uh, in those those really hot events. Well, shade and water, I think, both fall into the category of you have to have adequate quantity because a small shade that everybody crowds under and stands right next to each other is not near as effective as having enough shade space for them to spread out. Same with water. You have to have adequate quantity that they can get, especially if you're in a grazing situation and they're going to come up and get a drink and then they're going to walk away. You have to be sure that that either well or pump or whatever you've got set up has adequate capacity to fill it up so everybody can drink if they're going to walk away. Water quality is also critical. We think about watering out of ponds or areas that they're loafing in, staying in. That's not the same as having a nice clean tank. You certainly can water out of those, but be sure they have an easy way to get into and out of the water because if they start mucking it up, it makes it harder to get to nice clean water as they're going forward. So all of those good things to think about as you're planning, but I think one of the things that Brian mentioned was all of us are watching the weather. That's what you do. But watch the weather and maybe make some changes. I wasn't going to rotate them now, but I'm going to rotate them two days ahead because I've got this big heat spike coming if, as best you can based on the weather. So good discussion on, on heat stress. I would also like to, we're going to shift, and I want to go back to, we started some great discussions last week with Dr. Enoch, and 
We didn't get through all our topics because we had a lot of good discussions. So we have him back again this week, and happy to have you back with us, Enoch. And we wanted to talk one Thanks of the things. One of the things that we wanted to visit about was talking about disease entry. And Bob, I know you had some questions relative to how Australia handles some of those issues. Well, I'm assuming, Enoch, that uh, you've got it pretty easy. I mean, Australia is an island, so surely there's no. Once you've got all the diseases out of there, the cattle are pretty safe. Is that is that a safe assumption? <laughs> Hey, um, well, that, the issue is that I think sometimes our producers become a little bit complacent because they, they think the exact they same thinking, thing. We've got an excellent reputation of, um, of low disease incidents, but we start to believe our own, our own press. And, uh, for instance, BVD, like we talked about last week, you know, it, it was endemic and we were doing nothing about it because we thought, geez, yeah, we're pretty, we got low disease incidents, but, but the issue with us, even though we're an Island is, is our entire industry is predicated on currently on, on live export to support a uh, proportion of the offtake. So Southern cattle tend to go through feed yards and get value added or grass finished, but up North where most of the cattle reside, um, a lot of those animals are going out on, on boats and each country that we deal with has stipulations on, on, uh, disease incidents and they all have criteria of what we have to be either show freedom or we have to do specific tests for. And, um, recently the big, the big, we've always been afraid of FMD, you know, it's been in China for years. They call it disease X there or something like that. Um, but the one that's got us really spooked right now is lumpy skin disease, um, because it's it's just it's pretty dang close and it can be spread by insects. Yeah, so can you so it, that lumpy skin disease is not one of the big ones that we worry about here in the US. I mean, we're worried about it, it's foreign animal disease, but it's not like an imminent threat. So what can you give us a little background on lumpy skin? Yeah. Well, well the reason why it's probably not as critical for you guys is, you know, the the morbidity and mortalities are quite low, but but for us it's all about market access. So if if we get one case of LSD and lumpy skin disease, we, we lose our ability to export to China, to Vietnam, um, to a lot of our, to a lot of the people that, that take a lot of our offtake and to Indonesia. Um, so because it's, it's, a, it's an African disease that's been slowly spreading, came up through, um, uh, through, uh, up there in Egypt and Sudan and places like that. It's, it's worked its way into China and now it's in Indonesia and it's not that far away as the crow flies or, worse as the mosquito flies uh, when we get a cyclone it, it has the ability to push these insects down on us and and potentially some of that virus could could make remain active and so that's why we're just not terrified just con- seriously concerned and trying to do everything we can to make sure we're ready because this disease is carried by insects is that right so you think about well yeah yes. in- insects can't fly across the ocean but uh, they actually can in in the right kind of conditions right Amen. Yeah. So it's more of the cyclones, which come in and spin down and they come, they come up from, you know, as the, as the earth spins, they come spinning off the equator and our spin the opposite direction is yours, just like our toilets. Really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And they can push those, those midges from Indonesia down in, down into Australia. And if we get one, we're in trouble. So what we are always trying to figure out how to do is just to make sure that we're ready to go. And so there's a lot of good government programs. We've got an EADRA, you know, emergency animal disease response and, and uh, a lot of us have been trained. Um, there's there's a lot of funding set aside. Um, we're trying to develop our vac- vaccines now as in preparedness so that we can try to, it's all about early recognition and quick response with relevant with re- with relevant personnel. And, um, and out of all of those, they're all predicated on having people on the ground, boots on the ground, 
I know Brian's passionate about this too. We've got to do everything we can to try to get as many kids as we can interested in ag. And, and you asked me like, what makes a kid want to go to ag? I think a lot of kids want to go out into the ag sector. We got to figure out a way to make them comfortable in the ag sector. It's easy to get comfortable in a small animal console room. Cause when you need a hand, you step out and you ask old doc, Hey, I saw this cat in there and he's doing this. What do you reckon? Or you hit the books and you go back and you put your smile on, you do the job. But when you're in the cattle yards all day and you're struggling, you know, you're getting a bit fatigued and you're just not sure on the staging or, or maybe even you're missing a few that you think you might be calling a few empties pregnant or vice versa. It can be pretty hard on you. And, and, and producers can be a little bit hard on you at times too. One of the things I say to my producers when I'm, when I'm asked about um, vets working in rural areas, is I say, look, the university is going to do the best job they can. But in the end, a good veterinarian is made by good producers. You, you got to put these kids under your wing they will become who you need them to be if you give them the opportunity. And what we find happening here is a lot of deregulation of things that underpin our business, like deregulation of preg testing. It's like Jiffy Lubes, man. If if you're a little old town and half your business is changing oil and then Jiffy Lube comes rolling in charging $20 to change your oil and then you go around after you, you know, you, you burned up your clutch and old mate's gone. You go, where'd you go? And he goes, well, hell, I, I couldn't make a living. You weren't you weren't yeah. getting me out changing the oil. And the other thing is when you're changing that oil, you're checking the clutch. You're looking at the radiator. And that's it's it's passive surveillance. And and what makes a good cow vet is standing behind a cow. <laughs> I don't even know what a cow's head looks like. I haven't been up there. I'm always <laughs> in the but, but you know, we're there all the time, passively surveilling. And when the shit hits the fan, we're gonna find it. It's we gotta recognize zoonotic and exotic disease quickly, and then we gotta respond quickly. And, and that is going to be really predicated on the right people being there on the ground and, and trying to train lay people to take our role. It's got some merit, but but in the end, we just got to get more of us out there in the dirt, in and the you, land. You getting, covered a, getting, you covered a lot of things that, that are definitely relevant here in the U.S. as well. One is we, we struggle to place enough veterinarians in, in rural communities. We've got some really good ones out there. They, they do really benefit from mentorship. But the reason that they're there is to again, not only to take care of the things that we expect to see, like BVD, like pneumonia in, in feedlot cattle, and the things that, that veterinarians are trained to handle, but also to be prepared for those devastating things that could come in. And so those foreign animal diseases, the diseases that only show up occasionally, but really kind of wreck us when they show up. And that's that. I mean, you cannot replace a local community person that's intimately involved with the animal health of the ranchers and, and producers I mean, you can't outsource that to somebody else. That's got to be somebody local. Yeah, and I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And we appreciate you coming back because this is a great topic that will lead in. And I know Brian's got some thoughts on this as well. But just exactly what you said, you've got the the person there, boots on the ground, but it's passive surveillance. It's not just looking at the cow that's right in front of you. It's figuring out is there something big? Is there something else going on? We, we've really enjoyed having you, and I will echo what we said last week. Dr. Enix got a YouTube channel, and if you want to go see him on YouTube, you can, and I would recommend it because it's quite enjoyable. So thanks for joining us again, Dr. Enix. Thank you, my friends. I really, really, really appreciate the opportunity to come back to America, and sorry I don't have an Aussie accent. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're happy to – thanks, Dr. Enix. We're happy to have you with us again. And we really enjoyed having you guys and good discussions and good discussions with Samantha. If you have any thoughts, questions, topics you'd like us to talk about on a future episode, you can always email us at bci at ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.